Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Where's My Sage, a taste of the universe, with your host, Mike and Christy. We are back after a couple of weeks of hiatus and uh, trying to get some life situations turned around. And uh, yeah, so uh, I am here uh, and apologize that we weren't here last week. Uh, I had some surgery last that Monday that, yeah, in the week before, um, some surprises that I didn't know were, were going to show up. So, uh, I have been here and I'm couch bound. So being couch bound, I was going to be on searching that anyway tonight. So I figured, Hey, you can get back on. Uh, we've got a great special guest tonight. Uh, mm. actually was with me when I started this craziness. Um, so we do apologize for, for my, uh, departure. And of course our families decide they want to keep staying in the hospital to keep us from. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, and I definitely appreciate all of, um, everyone who's reached out and everybody who has extended well wishes and prayers and love, uh, in the last few weeks, it's been very trying. Um, but being able to come on tonight is a good sign. And, um, although we still have a long road ahead of us and a lot of questions that aren't answered yet, um, dad is doing okay. So he actually said, I hope you're doing your show tonight. And I said, actually we are. So that's a good thing. He said, good. So he may even pop on on his phone, but we don't, we don't know about that, but yeah. So, but we definitely appreciate all of the prayers and love and patience, especially because it's, we don't like canceling you know, last minute or leaving people hanging or doing that to our guests um, any more than we have to, you know, or ever at all. But, you know, unfortunately, life is uh, unpredictable, but here we are. So we're going to take it in and do it while we can do it and just take it one day at a time, right? Yes. Yeah. So hello to folks coming in, Francesca, uh, Tommy. Uh, Carrie is here. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for Hi, doing guys. the promo for us on uh, yeah. Instagram. Yeah, um, thank you. Like, share. We are coming to you from a couple different locations yes. tonight. Yes. So, John already uh, said it. I was going to yeah. say, okay, you guys, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> like his hair. <laughs> yes. My mother, too. In two years I've known him. Razor, I'm like, so, yeah. wow, you have hair. <laughs> Hello? I know. Yes, I have hair. It needs to be cut. Uh, I am not allowed to drive for another week. Um, so the biggest thing I'm driving is a computer. Um, and I'm not even doing much of that. So I have caught up on, I don't know how much Bigfoot and paranormal and 
you know, watching all my friends, watching all my friends show. Um, so, you know, we, we just kind of keep going. So life is where it's at. Oh yeah, for sure. So I needed to get some like gel in there and some, you know, moose and I'm going to permanent back. Like I had it in the nineties, you know, no, you're not. go back I to the Mohawk again. <laughs> yeah. So. I've seen those pictures. Yeah. <laughs> no way. And then he's not here to pick on us, my old hairdresser. So. Um, but no, I'm trying to go with this new look, you know, to go really with the tactical look. Very yeah, cool. Brand like new that. black rifle coffee yeah. tactical squat shirt today. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. No, folks, like, they are not our sponsor. No, we just love them. Yeah. <laughs> we just love them. And we yeah. liked them even before we knew each other. So, yeah. 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 We just great, really like them. Great bunch of guys run a veterans owned business and <laughs> I keep my, you know, supporters of law enforcement in the military. So, you know, check those guys out, but they started doing a whole Sasquatch thing, which is kind of cool. Got a great yeah, funny which video. I got overly excited about. So, yeah. <laughs> and I thought something was wrong. I was like, oh. <laughs> yep. So, um, folks have been asking where you can find us. And uh, one of our friends and family members with WLFE DB Radio, uh, Ted Vanson, who does uh, Talk With Teddy, and his other radio shows and stuff like that. Put a nice little video together. So uh, we're going to run that quick, and then um, we'll work on. Uh, is it Vance Vanson or is it Vanson? Vanson. Vanson, because it's yeah. capital V and a capital. He'll be here in a minute. Make sure Vanson. I know. So we'll <laughs> I let know. him say it. But as we've all learned, I can butcher anybody's <laughs> name. Including my own. <laughs> Our poor guest man. I'll yeah. tell you, I had to say his name. I, I think I had to tell Mike how to spell it like six times today when we were setting the show up. He kept spelling it and putting syllables in there that weren't there. And <laughs> I said, and you're cut off. You're done. <laughs> Jay's just Jay. So, all right. So, let's... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> this is our uh, promo video from our family over at uh, WLFEDB Radio, where you can also find us. This also lists all the other podcast locations. So hang on for some craziness, and then we'll bring Alex in. Hey, everybody. This is Ted from Talk With Teddy and WLFEDB Radio Network. Let's talk about this network for a second. It's very unique, and it has different shows with different topics that you won't hear anywhere else. First, let's say our shows cover a wide range of topics, paranormal to horror, skeptical to believers, and all types of variety shows. You won't be disappointed. In fact, we found, not by the limitations of audio, that we have added video casting as well. Do yourself a favor and check out a show or two. The full schedule is lined up on WLFEDBradio.com. In fact, there are past shows as well that you can check out. So remember, WLFEDBradio.com. Now here's a few of the podcast hosts that also carry the WLFE DB Radio brand and shows. Our shows can be heard on Spreaker, Deezer, iHeart, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and more. So check out WLFE-DB.com. DB Radio. 
Okay, so that was a little word from, yeah, some of our other family. He did a nice job on that. Yeah. Hey, just a little side note, everybody, because I'm reading some of the comments with my downtime there. Tonight, I'm not answering any questions. I I apologize. And I know, trust me, we have not forgotten with all the chaos and and things going on in life. We've not forgotten that we had to cancel a couple of reading shows. Next week is supposed to be a reading show. So we definitely plan on being here um, with all prayers and fingers crossed. Nothing else will happen to take us away. but we definitely will make up for those. And you guys know we're real good for popping on, especially out of the blue, um, when we have time to do that. So I apologize, but tonight we're not gonna be answering any questions or taking or taking questions and, and doing readings. All right, but stay tuned because Alex is a really awesome guy. Um, tonight we have Alex, Alexander. I love how he spells it. I mean, I know he didn't choose how to spell his name. His parents did a really cool job with that. But Alexander Petikoff, welcome to the show. How are you? <laughs> Good. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah. Go ahead, Michael. You, you. I'm going to let you uh, take the reins and introduce our, our awesome guest yes. tonight. So we brought Alex in. Um, I met Alex through Seth Love at Small Town Monsters. We got to spend some time up there, but you are a filmmaker, a researcher, an all-around interesting dude, an out- outdoorsman. Um, you've made a couple of really great films and documentaries that are out there, and um, wondering where you're planning on going. And you're located in the Northeast, correct, in New Hampshire. And did you froze or I lose you or? I think yeah, I might I be my frozen. I thought, you know, I was going to say, wow, you're doing a really good job of keeping this face. <laughs> no. Let me, let me just close my, oh my I don't God. know if my other tabs are slowing me down here. My internet is not good. <laughs> there he is. All right. <laughs> so uh, Alex is a, uh, a graduate of uh, political science from Quinnipiac. University. Uh, he has traveled the U.S. and you uh, and the world looking for cryptozoology, Sasquatch, Loch Ness monster, Lake Champlain, UFOs, big cats, and a range of other uh, paranormal events, including items in the Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, Alex also runs a. I'm going to pull. Yep, there you are. Back with no audio. Hello. Yeah. Hang on one second. Pull him. Oh, we lost him. I didn't remove him. He said that's it. I'm out of here. Yep. Um, yeah. Oh, give him a second. No, he's Come probably trying to reset it. Yeah, yeah. He's, I'm sure he's trying to reset it. So uh, the nice thing is that... Uh, Alex is, uh, also uses this format, so uh, let's see if uh, we can get that come back for me. Go ahead and try this. Um, there he is. All right, let's let's add him back. All right, are you there, sir? My internet it decided to freeze up. Of course, <laughs> my browser. I was trying to close my other tabs. I usually do that beforehand. I should have done that. I didn't realize I had them closed, and then the whole thing froze, and I had to force quit uh, Google Chrome. So I'm back. Looks like there's not as much of a delay anymore either, which is great. Yeah, I know. You're doing great. Yes, welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, Sorry. It 
it gave me a second to read your bio where I, you know, could stare off and not stare at the screen and, uh, you know, right. I didn't go to school for media or, or any of that. So sometimes I kind of forget the, the intricacies of being on a wonderful guest because I know who I'm bringing on, but I got our, our, our wonderful viewership sometimes don't don't they don't meet the people behind the scenes and right, of right. course my brain's not working the best so um your brain's so, never working the best i don't want to hear it yeah. <laughs> surgery or no surgery so <laughs> i'm teasing <laughs> you have gotten to travel the world and look for some amazing um items uh, you run your own podcasts on monday nights on youtube um uh, Sasquatch Out of the Shadows, uh, which is probably one of my favorite podcasts, you know. Oh, thank um, you. You know, not being, you know, uh, what am I looking for? You know, I love ours, but I love looking at other people's stuff in the interviews mm-hmm. and who you're, who you're getting for, you know. I mean, that's my Monday nights is I, I know if I'm home or if I'm in the car, I can, you know, put it on and just have the audio going in the background. Yeah, um, we see our comments in the uh, the live chat there, which is yeah. awesome. So it, it, you, you've got a great thing. And, you know, like I said, Carrie, that's uh, uh, Bigfoot Mountaineer. It's always putting stuff out there for us. I know as a big fan, yeah. it's always watching. So um, when you – how did you get into doing cryptid research? I guess I was always just interested in the paranormal, the weird cryptid creatures. Since I was a kid, I had – grown up hearing stories and uh, watching documentaries on the subject. And that's sort of the way I approached it, you know, later in life as I was going through school, you know, I was always doing that armchair research a little bit, reading and just finding out as much as I could. You kind of fall out of it a little bit though. And, you know, I'd been very interested in media production and documentaries. That's a big passion of mine is actually creating documentaries. So I think it was around 2015, 2016, I was like, well, maybe I should just, kind of do documentaries about these cryptid topics. Maybe that's something kind of cool. And um, that's basically what I did. It started with Loch Ness and Bigfoot documentaries. They were just shorts. Uh, started putting some of them on YouTube and kind of started meeting people along the way, started going to events. And uh, that's, I guess, the way I research is through the documentaries. That's sort of my way of covering different cryptid topics and uh, different cryptid subject matter and other paranormal or strange places as well. Just kind of combined two passions and uh, it's been a blast ever since. Um, your first documentary, the, the Loch Ness Monster um, is awesome. And you filmed that with like a GoPro or just a regular, I mean, to get to start going, that's, that was awesome. I watched that yesterday and it's like, oh, thanks. Man, for, 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 I would not be able to put something together like that. LFC hasn't stopped talking about it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So, you know, you're totally fangirling over that whole thing. Uh, it's, I'm glad you like it. That makes one of us. You know, to be a, a one man show like to it? kind of run some, kind of those things, you know, it's, that's, that's a, that's a cool thing to do, you know. Were you disappointed with it? Is that no, no? I, I, I'm just joking. I mean, I, as I said, you know, I'm glad one of us likes it at least. I, I, when I look at it now, as a filmmaker, you're always critical of your own work. So when I look at it sure. now, it kind of makes me cringe. I'm like, oh God, what what, what was I thinking back then? Because um, you you you're, the craft evolves and you get better and you learn how to do things better. But yeah, that was basically it was after I graduated college and I was traveling a little bit and 
Um, Loch Ness was one of the places I'd always wanted to go and visit. And while I was there, you know, I had just my Canon camera, GoPro. That was basically it. And just kind of uh, went around, asked people questions about the Loch Ness Monster, got some B-roll and kind of decided to do something with it and put it together. And then started doing Bigfoot documentaries, interviewing people in my local area, going online, checking for BFRO type groups and other groups in the area, just seeing if I could contact anyone or uh, just kind of get out in the field a little bit and maybe do it from that documentary uh, perspective. <laughs> and that's Max. <laughs> you haven't met Max yet. <laughs> Very cool, though. Your. Uh, can you tell me a little about? You know, I. I I didn't know about the, the trip to North Korea and the hermit kingdom. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? And, you know, just sure. I mean, yeah. Be an interesting place to get into right now. And Oh yeah. For a definite. Uh, Very tough. Yeah. I don't know. That was, I was, it was the same kind of situation. I was basically took some time off after graduating from college and just was traveling a little bit. My family's originally from Europe. So I was over there for a little bit. It's an easy sort of jumping off point. That's how I was able to go to Scotland as well. That's like, you know, when you're go in Europe, that's like traveling to another state basically. Uh, and then I decided to go to Asia for a little bit. I had some great friends from high school who were actually from South Korea. So I spent some time over there and it was almost jokingly that I was like, Oh, what if, wouldn't it be cool to go to North Korea? Uh, so I started actually doing research and turns out you could go. Uh, it's not as hard as you'd imagine. Now it's spring. Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the super light collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter than air feel and barely there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It's different. It's illegal for Americans to go now ever since um, Otto Warmbier, I think his name was, a uh, guy who was there. He was detained actually like a month after I was there. And he was the one who was returned, I believe, a couple of years ago, and he passed away shortly after that. He had had 
something happened to him when he was over there. Very unfortunate circumstances, but since then it's been illegal. Obviously, there's been a lot of developments with North Korea in the news in the past couple of years, but this was 2015. So this was uh, kind of right before the election. And it was an interesting time to go for sure. Um, and yeah, I basically went after spending three weeks in South Korea. I went to North Korea for a, like a five day tour. You go through China and it's uh, basically a government propaganda tour. You have to suspend your all your beliefs for that time period you're there. And you know, you're, it's, it, I didn't feel uh, nervous or anything about it at all. Uh, the tourists usually get treated pretty well there. You're constantly watched, so you're never alone. And they basically just take you to their pre-selected places they want to show you, their war museums, their glorious monuments, uh, all this kind of stuff that, you know, that they, they want to show you. Basically, you don't get to see, you get some snippets of the real North Korea and some of the poverty, but if you take pictures of it, they try to make you delete it, which is why I made some secret footage with my phone of uh, driving around the countryside and the buses we were in. And, you know, they, they probably would have maybe delete that had they known I did it, but I did it in a very discreet way. So I don't plan on going anytime soon. So I can talk about it now freely. Yeah, right. It was, yeah. A lot of people would say you're crazy. It's on your website. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A lot of people would say maybe you're crazy for going, but I, I thought it was an interesting experience, uh, especially I'm after sure spending why. all that time in South Korea. And I've always been interested in the conflict between North and South Korea um, right. You know, basically the same exact people divided by unfortunate circumstances with communism and uh, the Korean War and everything that happened during that time period. And obviously, they've developed in completely different ways. South Korea's, you know, super tech advanced, highest Internet speeds in the world. And North Korea is this last vestige of a weird communist dystopian state. So you couldn't have two more different situations. And I had the privilege of being in one and then the other right back to back with a little bit of China in between. Which is weird too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I don't know. I mean, part of me would love to go see that part of the world. You know, I mean, honestly, to experience and see the people and the lands. And but yeah, the other part of me just says, you know, and it's unfortunate that you would even feel any kind of resistance to want to see our world in the first place. You know, it's just sad. So it's really nice that you got to, you had that opportunity and you're able to sneak some footage. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I, like I said, it was almost a joke in the beginning. I was thinking about, oh, since I'm going to be in South Korea, I might as well, do I go to Japan? Where do I go for just a little exploration? North Korea was very much a joke. And then it turns out you could actually go. And it was definitely the most interesting trip I've ever been on. I definitely uh, wouldn't, would, I don't regret doing it rather. Um, and, you know, it's just, you see the kind of, especially coming from the U.S., technically been at war with them and with in South Korea, you know, has been at war with them since the fifties. I mean, there hasn't been a peace treaty that's really been signed. I know there's been a lot of talk of it, but it was just interesting, especially seeing the DMZ, the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea from both sides. So I, I took a tour from it, from Seoul, which is about 45 minutes from the DMZ. And then on the North Korean uh, side, they take you to, to it as a part of the tour and everything's predetermined. It was a very weird place. I got to say uh, some of my footage probably reflects that, but um, you know, at the end of the day, there are normal people in North Korea, just like they're in any other country. They're not all crazed, uh, you know, people who want to kill Americans or kill Koreans or, you know, whatever the case may be, but they're stuck, unfortunately, with a government that doesn't treat them well at all. Uh, probably a lot worse than most. And, um, you know, it's, it was interesting to meet some people, I guess, and kind of talk to them on a human level and, 
exchanged mm-hmm. some gifts and like I gave our driver and some of the tour guides, I got to give them some candy and stuff like that. And oh, like on a human level, it was really interesting yeah. to make that connection because it's like almost like a behind enemy lines kind of thing. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Now like to switch gears to the cryptid side of thing while you were there and while you were traveling through Asia, um, did you pick up any stories or cryptids or UFOs or paranormal stuff that was of interest, um, even uh, energy healing or something like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously you're in um, what the, the cultures I was in, Korea specifically and, and China just for a little bit because uh, the way it works is when you travel to North Korea, you have to go through China. So I was in Beijing for like less than 72 hours on each side, but did get to go to the Great Wall and walk around this really abandoned section of the Great Wall as it was snowing with a friend of mine who's an Italian photographer. We like rented this driver. He took us out there about an hour and a half outside of Beijing and you're standing in these mountains <clears throat> As the snow's coming down, I'm, I can just imagine, you know, the feeling would have been thousands of years ago, building this great endeavor, just kind of being in the area. Amazing. But yeah, you do hear some stories. Of course, we were in these mountains, the snow's falling. I couldn't stop thinking about the Yeti and uh, the, as the Yeren, they call it in China. Now, we were very close to Beijing, so I don't think we were in an area where there's any active sightings. But there's some pretty wild mountains in China as well, where I know they have sightings of the Yeren, which is, as I said, their version of a Bigfoot sort of thing. And they even have some monuments to it and it's sort of revered in some of the local cultures which is interesting in korea the only really cryptid that i'm aware of at the time that i was aware of was supposedly in mount pektu which is the uh, a mountain that borders on china and north korea supposedly where kim il-sung the first leader of north korea was born and kind of emerged out of a rainbow or something ridiculous along those lines it's kind of the origin story this lake up there supposedly has a lake monster and people have seen it and taken pictures. We didn't get a chance to go there. Some of the tours do take you there, but not the one I was on, but yeah, there's a long history of mysticism and uh, in the Korean Buddhist culture as well. Now in North Korea, they're atheist, uh, at least, you know, their religion is the state uh, Juche ideology. They don't have an official religion. South Korea, most people are actually Christian, believe it or not. Um, and that's partly to to with the American influence there and the Western influence since the Korean War. But there is a long history of Korean Buddhism. So I got to go check out some really interesting temples while I was in South Korea and you know, that traditional Korean architecture. Really interesting to see. Um, and, you know, they have a whole host of uh, strange stories in their cultures as well, just like any, any culture does about strange lights and strange creatures in the waters. And uh, Korea is a very big uh, culture is very big on seafood. So they do a lot of fishing and they're surrounded by ocean. So there's, uh, I've been told there's some stories of lots of water monsters and water dragons and that kind of stuff in that area. Wow. Now, was this prior to you doing the Loch Ness monster or just after? This or? was, this was after. So it was after I filmed the Loch Ness monster. I hadn't really, I didn't edit the Loch Ness monster until about six months after I was in Loch Ness um, this was all kind of part of the same trip when I was kind of, like I said, just taking a summer off and kind of wandering around for a little bit. Good time to do it, I suppose, before the world got too crazy. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was it was after that. But um, obviously, Loch Ness was one of those places that was high on my list. And it was really cool to go and visit there. Now, when you came back from that, you end up doing Bigfoot research or Champ research first? So for big, those, oh, sorry for those that are from, we have a lot of viewers from overseas. 
So if you can explain a little bit more when we get into champ aware and, and, and such, just for those people that aren't used to that demographic. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I started with the Bigfoot stuff. I felt that it was the most accessible. I think what had happened was I, I just kind of was wanting to do a Bigfoot documentary after the Loch Ness one. And then I started asking people about it in the area. And I, inter- I ended up interviewing um, some people in the New England area. There's a lot of stories in New England. That's where I'm located in New Hampshire specifically, but Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, they're all very close and there's a lot of woods around here. So there's a lot of these stories going back. So I kind of started doing that and I came in contact with a bunch of interesting folks and spent a while uh, investigating that stuff. And then I ended up going to Northern California at one point as well and visiting Willow Creek, which is the uh, kind of birthplace of the moniker Bigfoot. That's where the Bluff Creek stuff happened in the 1950s when the journalists coined the footprints people were finding as Bigfoot. Before that, it was Sasquatch and that kind of thing. So I originally wanted to do a feature on Bigfoot, but it ended up turning into it wouldn't make much sense having, you know, people in California and then people in New Hampshire and Vermont. And I kind of was just like, you know what, I might as well release individual sort of pieces dealing with each of the areas. And that's ultimately, I guess, what my YouTube channel turned into. And uh, if you're in the woods and Alex says he's going to pick a mountain, check the mountain out before you decide to hike it. (laughs) He tells it's a low grade and it's flat. It's not going to be flat. Great up. <laughs> yeah. Wine, 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 wine. I will. I will say. <laughs> so he is in the woods a lot. It's good to be young, and I gotta say, the man has got beautiful, beautiful videos. So please check out his YouTube channel because there's some Thank amazing, you. amazing footage. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't mean to put you through the ringer. I think out of probably in that group where we were, I was one of the only people that was really a hiker aside from my brother. Everyone else was kind of puffing and puffing along and we put Mike through the ringer on that mountain in the Adirondacks, no doubt. <laughs> oh, your brother's a trooper. Oh, so- he's a, he's like a rocket. He's way faster than me. The thing is I checked the apps, right? The, the mountains I'm used to doing in New Hampshire. I mean, they're like even more yeah. than what we did. So yeah. I was like, Oh, the grade on this, it's like 15 to the twenties percent. That's nothing compared to, you know, the 50, 60% I'm used to. That's crazy. And, I love New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. Too. Yeah, it's and gorgeous. And when you think there. about things, guys, you don't think about the equipment that they take with them. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a chance to work with, with Alex and, and Seth and uh, a couple other National Geographic folks. And, you know, the, the plethora of cameras and equipment. Mm-hmm. And, like, well, how much stuff to have and decide what you're going to take with you is, oh, yeah. is absolutely amazing. I'm like, yeah, yep. I've got a camera and a GoPro. I'm good to go up the mountain, you know. And then <laughs> his brother a backpack, like here. I just just keep take all this weight. Yeah, how much weight? Oh, is I that? know. Oh, you're young. You keep keep packing. It. And man, yeah. that, that one camera we had. So basically, we were filming this uh, small town monster series on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey. And Mike was accompanying us there for a couple of days. <laughs> we did basically a week in the Adirondacks from Whitehall to this was more central where we went. And we had this one camera, Sony. FS7, this thing was massive, uh, absolutely huge. It weighed like 20 pounds, the camera itself with the lens. So we just threw it in a backpack, had my brother take it up. Now, when I'm usually hiking, it's usually just my (laughs) GoPro or my DSLR and a drone. So I don't take nearly that much equipment. But this was obviously a production where we had a drone. We had multiple smaller cameras. We had the big camera for B-roll. So hopefully we we got some good shots that made it worth uh, lugging it up the mountain. Yeah. 
that's you know i take totally take it for granted you know i mean even just doing like local tours and smaller tours to see the tech guys and the invest the true investigators who have all that equipment and all the cases and the bags and the you know the suitcases that they have full of equipment and then to see what mike will bring when we go somewhere, you know, and then to see the pictures of you guys with all the stuff you have on, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I just go and do what I do. It doesn't require any equipment <laughs> so, unless I want to bring it, you know, so I don't really have to worry about that. And so to see all that, you really, until you, you experience it or help with it, don't really realize it's heavy, it's bulky. There's a lot that goes into behind the scenes to make it all work so that, you see what you're seeing with the finished product. It's amazing, you know, and, and it's just, I give you guys a lot of credit. I mean, there are times I don't even think about it. I'm like, Mike, you got this, right? <laughs> here, can you, can we bring this computer and just mount this here or just do this or here, can you just walk around and follow me? And he's like, uh, sure. And before I know it, I'm watching him balance one thing and he's got like other things in a backpack and I'm like, <laughs> My bad, sorry. And he doesn't complain. So I give you guys a lot of credit. <laughs> you know, you just you just go and you do it. And, and it's but it's a lot of work and people don't realize it, you know. So but it, it's worth it in the end though, when you see the finished product and you see everything that that it comes from it too. Oh yeah. I love it. I mean, as as like I said, I'm a I'm a big hiker. I've hiked most of the mountains in New Hampshire and I always have you know, my DSLR, probably a lens or two. Sometimes I'll bring my drone, a GoPro. And then on top of that, you got to have all your other stuff, you know, water, food, um, med kit, all the other stuff you need for hiking right. in general. So, you know, the, the pack ends up being probably somewhere in the you know, 15, 20 pound range. And that's if it's on a day trip. If it's a, I've done a lot of overnights where, you know, you're carrying 60 yes. pounds on your back. You got the tent, you got your sleeping bag, the extra clothes, the weather up here is crazy. So just cause you're hiking yeah. backpacking the winter or in the summer, it can be in mm -hmm. the thirties at night in some of the, up in the higher elevations with rain and you can even get snow in the middle of the summer. So you have to prepare for everything. But I, like I said, I love it. And it's definitely worth it in my, in my book. Wow. That's amazing. So you're out there in the Northeast hunting for Bigfoot, what have you come across? What have you seen? What keeps you on the path of, you know, looking for that particular cryptid? Sure. I think probably one of the biggest things for me is hearing the stories from people. That's something that um, despite having, you know, certain personal experiences, nothing, I can't say I've ever had a visual or anything I can 100% say as a Sasquatch, we've had some weird stuff at night in the woods, you know, things, stick breaks and, smells and strange noises that kind of stuff but you hear a lot of weird noises out in the woods but uh the stories honestly from the first one of the first uh, witnesses i interviewed to doing a lot of events even doing i do a lot of library talks talking about uh, granite state bigfoot and things in the new england area and i always love hearing people come up afterwards and tell me their stories or oh i know somebody who's had a story um just you know people telling me their direct eyewitness encounter saying oh my great-grandfather worked at a uh, he was a prison guard in uh, a prisoner of war camp in World War II up in the mountains in New Hampshire with the German POWs. And they refused to go in the woods because there were gorillas that they were describing in the woods, that kind of stuff. I mean, those wow. sorts of stories, that's just a sample of a few. Just talking to some of these eyewitnesses running into people coincidentally uh, keeps me going for sure. Uh, you know, I have my own sort of personal research kind of area where we've had some stuff happen in conjunction with somebody who's had 
uh, you know, 30, 40 years of activity on their property in a very rural area here in New Hampshire. And uh, that's been interesting, but I'm not really a researcher, I guess. I'm not out there to try and prove Bigfoot's real or any of these cryptids. I'm uh, more interested in chronicling the stories and the history and the local legends, because some of these stories date back to before there was a modern popular sense of Bigfoot. You know, they used to be called the Wood Devils up in the North Country, New Hampshire. This was a logging term. And there's a lot of little local stories, the Hollis Flea Monster, lots of different stories that uh, predate even the Bigfoot name or people weren't aware that Bigfoot could be in this part of the country. They think, oh, it's just a Pacific Northwest thing. So they call it, you know, the the howler or something like that, the Durham gorilla, lots of different stories, the Winston wow. wild man, lots of stories around New England like that from, uh, you know, both new and old. So you would say more that you're a, a, I'm looking for a documentarian or um, what am I looking for? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I guess like a video notebook. I mean, basically, you're 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 uh, you're striving those stories. You're you're bringing those stories together. More like a scientific um, log of yeah, a log yeah. of that that journey. A little of bit of that you as well, right? Maybe yeah, a little bit of that. I mean, so a lot of the stories I, I'm aware of people don't want to be interviewed on camera or they just kind of tell me their story and then I'll write it down or I'll have them fill out yeah. a sighting report. And that I don't really, that's a lot of that stuff I just have kind of sitting around, but it's cool for me to, to, um, to have that stuff. But I would love to interview people any chance I get, if they're willing, I will interview a person, whether it's simply audio or on camera, if they're willing to show their face, if not completely respect that I've had people who have, you know, told me, Oh, you can film this, but you know, can't release it anywhere. Just kind of in my own personal archives. And, um, I hope to at some point put together a book of just New Hampshire Bigfoot stories in particular. I think a lot of New England has been covered in some other literary works, but New Hampshire has some really unique stories I don't think have been talked about very much. So I was actually hoping this summer to do a lot of research at local libraries and do some digging on stories that may date back before 
the term Bigfoot and that kind of stuff. Obviously, the world had a different plan. So that's, uh, you know, to be done at a later date. But yeah, like, I guess it's just for me, it's more of a journey about hearing people's stories. And uh, in conjunction with the stuff I have going, I've had happen personally, it's sort of painting a picture in my mind of what's going on here rather than me out there, you know, trying to get a piece of hair to prove definitively that is this exists. I don't know if that'll ever be done. I don't think if, I don't think it will be possible to really prove what Bigfoot is. I mean, we know so little, uh, there's so many stories out there and that's really a lot of what we have to work with is a lot of stories and a little tiny bit of evidence that is always being questioned and constantly scrutinized. So, um, you know, I, I have the feeling that there's something out there based on my experiences and just the sheer number of people I've talked to, sincere people who I don't know why they would make this stuff up otherwise. And to me, uh, it, it seems unusual. You know, if they made such a crazy story up, why are they wanting to be so secretive about it and make sure nobody gets their name out? Or I, I work for my local town. I can't tell you, you know, I can't, I don't want my name to be out there in the public because I could lose my job. I mean, why would, why yeah. make this story up? It doesn't, it doesn't right. compute to right. me. Well, and in, in, in a way, I mean, it all goes hand in hand that these stories are lost, especially through the generations, because, you know, all these experiences happen over such a long period of time. You know, if they're forgotten, you know, then the people who are out to search for the truth will say, you know, we need that. We need those stories. That might be, you know, there might be facts in those stories that have been proven over time that now we know had, but if the story was buried or lost or forgotten, we wouldn't know that we wouldn't be able to correlate that or, or make that connection. So, I mean, I think it's really, it's really great, but I think people need to be validated too. So I think that what you yeah. do is, is really important because um, like you said, you know, there's, so much stigma out there, you know, whether it's just on a personal level, job, society, whatever, you know, with all of what we do. And, you know, when people have an experience that they can't explain, the last thing you want to do is make them feel like they're crazy or make them right. feel they're not, not validated because it's hard enough to go through something, especially some of the more traumatic instances oh, yeah. or, or situations that you can't understand and then to have people treat you in a way that makes you feel worse that's awful and so to have someone um like you and seth and and, and so many people out there give a voice to these people into the situations and i mean quite frankly i'm a voice for those on the other side i feel like you all are voices for you know sasquatch bigfoot all the other things that are out there that we cannot quite explain but we help to bring to light and hopefully a better understanding too um, that's the way I look at it. Um, you know, and maybe it's the way I can understand it. Sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's just so interesting. I mean, and as you said, it's really unfortunate. A lot of people I've talked to, they start out saying, you know, I haven't told my story in years. You're the first person I'm telling you in a long time. They'll say, initially I told family members and close friends, but then I was ridiculed. So I immediately mm -hmm. went inwards and didn't tell the story at all until I right. saw that there were Bigfoot Facebook groups and people across the country who were talking about their settings online. It gave them a chance to connect to other people who had experiences. And maybe uh, because I, in a place like New England in the Northeast, there isn't really a Bigfoot culture. As if you're in Washington or Oregon, there's like Sasquatches everywhere. There's Bigfoot cafes. And it's almost right. a little bit, it's a little less taboo to talk about. Whereas here, 
it's not supposed to be here, or at least that's what right. we're told, and it's not supposed to exist. So people, especially when they're adults and they have they see something that flips their reality upside down in that moment, and they're trying to rationalize it as it's going on and maybe frightening. <laughs> It can definitely yeah. leave a mark. And, and a lot of people I've talked to, they say not a day goes by that I don't think about what I saw or, or what had happened. And it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and one thing I wanted to mention too as well was some of this stuff, it's so interesting. Uh, people have these experiences that go on for decades. They may not even think that it may be Bigfoot related until, uh, and I've heard this a couple of times, people start reading, they'll read a book or they'll read something online that talks about, you know, what's been going on in property with Bigfoot activity. And they'll be like, that's what's been going on in me. I always just thought it was really strange circumstances or my property was haunted, that kind of stuff. A lot of these old ghost stories can be explained yeah. perhaps by something like a Bigfoot, very elusive. I mean, I even had one story guy told me that had all these experiences on his property and he kind of hinted in, in a veiled way. He was talking to a friend about it and telling her about it. And she kind of said, are you talking about that Bigfoot stuff? Because my grandfather swears that there's a cave near our blueberry farm where these things come out and take blueberries every summer wow. and that kind of thing. And it's like, that's crazy. It's crazy. And, and that happened to be the town over from an area where I've talked to multiple people who've had some experience abroad. I've, I've had some experiences out in the woods and uh, it's just kind of interesting. You, you make all these connections because otherwise this sort of stuff can just fly right under the radar. And most yeah. people probably just walk through the woods and don't even observe uh, some of the things that may be happening. They may bypass other normal animals that you might not see if you're not observant. So, um, right. yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And, and I do think it's unfortunate that people uh, had that there is such a stigma for a lot of this stuff because there's so many interesting stories out there. And I'm glad to hear you <laughs> make that correlation between or have that that person made that comment about, you know, some paranormal stuff can be explained maybe by a Bigfoot or vice versa, because it can go either way. And you're right. There are, um, you know, that's the interesting part of doing this, you know, for me going out with Mike and some of the other people I've now gotten to know, you know, to see with my own gifts, what I can pick up on, because it's not just ghosts, it's my intuition. It's, you know, we all have our intuition, you know, um, right to be able to follow that and to know yes or no, or to feel things, um, you know, not just the mediumship part of it, but it's, it's really neat to get out there and use my skills and gifts um, on that level as well, you know, and to see if there, if there's a correlation, which I happen to think there is on some level. I don't, can't say that I know any more than that, but I do think there is something. Um, but yeah, Michael yeah, yeah. wants to say something. Yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, and, uh, no, no, I, I was yeah. just going to say, I mean, I, what I love about being out there, especially if you're with other people, is people that come from different skill sets. I mean, you may have somebody that's coming from a military or a police background where they have that tactical thinking. They say, yeah. well, how would a Bigfoot, if something wants to stay hidden, how is this going to behave? They may have the angle on how to, you know, find the, the way, go to the place where nobody goes, because that's yeah. something they were taught in training. You may have people that come from, you know, a tech perspective where they're good with that the technology, they can kind of utilize that sort of stuff when you're out in the field. People who are just simply intuitive, who maybe, you know, they have abilities or they're just, they just go with their gut and they know, they kind of know what's happening. And a lot, of, I feel like a lot of these factors can play into people's experiences. People have different kinds of experiences, I think, based on, on where they're coming from and their perspective. I mean, uh, even on my show, we had an interesting discussion recently about uh, people talking about religion versus, you know, being atheists and that kind of stuff and how that may affect your outlook on the paranormal, where some people yeah. may, their worldview may kind of color what their experience is, whereas other people say, well, this is just kind of defying science or defying what I believe. And I think that's just an interesting um, way. And I think a lot of what you believe 
um, kind of colors maybe some of the experiences you have or your open-mindedness towards some of the stuff you may be having. Um, you know, not to say that just because you're coming from a perspective, you're kind of making all this stuff up or you're, you're imagining it's there. I think right. it's just kind of, maybe it just is normal to you because it's part of your worldview. I don't know. Right. But, uh, the skill set yeah. part, I think, is 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 pretty cool too because it's just fun being out in the field with people with different backgrounds, because they may notice something you have you totally forget. Mm -hmm. I we agree. have track over here, or this person saying, you know, this area just gives me the weird feeling, and then everyone starts getting the hair on the head, on yeah. the standing up, and that kind of stuff. I agree, and that can go. That rings true for paranormal investigations too, right, Mike? I mean, we we've coming from the two backgrounds and and working together now. I think we've both gotten a taste of that on both sides, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, you learn a lot you, about yourself. Yeah, I mean, look, even you and I saw being out there. You're like, oh, we can hear stuff in the woods, and you're like, yeah, we got thermal camera here. That's a, <laughs> that's a tree rat. That's not Bigfoot coming through. Right. That's, a, that's, that's a chipmunk or a squirrel ripping something apart. Yeah, you know? it's not you know you know, a 6,000 pound animal chasing us through the right. woods. Yeah, right. you can barely see it here. But yeah, that's <laughs> what I was going to kind of get back with your skill set as an artist, as, a, as a, a filmmaker. When you look at things, when you go into the woods, these stories, do they pull you to the woods more? Do you have a more of a, um, I would say a colorized you know, being a, a Rochester guy in Kodak, you know, that colorization, not just a black and white kind of thing, but can you visualize in your head, Hey, this is where I think what I'm seeing. Is this where I need to, to go to portray the story? Or is there an angle that I'm not getting? This is one camera angle. Am I getting it from the five other angles for that story to get out to the next level when you're, when you're out there is, is there, you know, and, and you are a researcher, you are researching that history, because without that history, where are the rest of us going to go jump into the woods and bring all our thermal cams and our night vision and our recorders and all that, or just our boots on the ground just to, to look around. So you are definitely out there researching, you know, I, I know we have a great research librarian in this, you know, chat right now watching and I know she's blushing because she hates to be called out on things. Um, but you know, those, that's, that's very important research. I know there's two scientists that I have floating in the, in the chat right now. And Paul, when you're ready, start throwing questions out. Um, you know, so as I got to call my guys out, they don't come in so often. He's been in quarantine chasing turtles down South. So, um, where, you know, when you picture these things and, you know, I've kind of led the conversation and I'd like you to kind of give us a, you know, from the Bigfoot the transition to some of the others, because dude, I, there he is. I knew he was out there hunting around. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and that's just it. You know, I, I you know, we've talked, my, my team is a very eccentric group of guys and ladies in their backgrounds of military and science and, and, you know, medical when you pull those people, when you quarantine or where you decide to go, what draws you to a subject or a topic? You know, because I definitely want to hit the lines of the East there. Uh, sure. Because that's, that's, yeah, a, you're involved that's, a lot more. That's, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't want to kind of, we'll get mm -hmm. you on that. You know, it's, you were such a diverse, you know, background. And I'd like our viewers to really hear, you know, if they're here or they're here on one of their other, you know, tuning in later at, uh, all the different things you're into. Yeah, the podcast. So, yeah. Sure. 
And you know, yeah. guys, too, remember, um, sorry, Alex, just before, if you have any questions for Alex, please post them in the chat room. We'll be happy to ask them. Yeah, we got them right there. Oh. <laughs> He's working on his psychic abilities. Uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you think Bigfoot is? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think there's really a good answer at this time period. I think if it is some sort of a biological being, probably something we are not familiar with. I mean, there's a lot of th theories thrown out. Gigantopithecus is one of those really popular ones. Paranthropus, a lot of these uh, kind of proto-human or other ape branch offs in our lineage, I suppose. Perhaps something along those lines that we're not familiar with. I think uh, just through a lot of the sightings and consistencies between behaviors reported in British Columbia and uh, Kentucky and other areas that are completely uh, separated by thousands of miles and mountains and different terrains, swamps, uh, snowy areas, mountains, lots of different stuff. I think it's clearly it's some sort of a creature that's adapted, very adaptable to environments. And I mean, there's really only other one species that's adapted to almost every environment on the planet, and that would be human beings. Whereas uh, other apes are very specialized in the areas they live in. And like I said, in North America, you've got Bigfoot sightings across the country and there's different almost characteristics regionally. So perhaps it's a more uh, regionally adapted animal down south in the swamps tends to be smaller in size, a little bit shaggier, tougher, meaner, a Pacific Northwest, a little bit larger. Um, some parts of the Northeast, there's like a UFO connection, glowing red eyes reported, that sort of stuff. So I don't really know what the right answer is. I know that's kind of a cop out, but um, I I just don't know. I, I would I would think if it's something biological, I think it's something we just don't know about because it's so similar to us, yet it's not. It's completely adapted to its environment to a point where it's mm -hmm. almost may seem supernatural. And some people indeed do think it's supernatural, but it's so adapted that it's just ridiculous. It's like the best woodsman out there times 10. I mean, that's just what it seems like. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever know really what it truly is, but um, those of us that are searching and out there and, and kind of what you were talking about earlier, Mike, with, you know, what draws you? I mean, I'm a lover of the outdoors. I love being out in the woods. I used to take survival training back in the day. And as I mentioned, big hiker, backpacker, I just, I'm at home in the woods. So I'd be out there anyway. But for me, when I look at a, protect, a particular patch of woods, my mind races and I say, this is like, would this be a great habitat for something like a Bigfoot or, or mountain lions or something else mysterious? Uh, you know, I love all other animals. I love moose. They're kind of like my spirit animal. We get a lot of them up here in the Northeast. And uh, just the other day in my spot where I had a face-to-face -face with one in March, I found big tracks, which is really exciting. I was nerding out over it. Uh, great white sharks. I'm a, I'm a big lover of great white sharks, other animals that we know about. So I feel like the cryptid stuff for me is kind of an extension of that. Um, because I, you know, when I'm out in the woods, I'm looking at, it, I'm saying, you know, this is, it would be boring to me if there was almost no mysterious, mysterious stories right. and mysteries out there. So it kind of just adds to my general love of the outdoors. Awesome. Christy's not, not laughing. laughing. Yeah, I'm not laughing at you. So. We had my moose adventure <laughs> too long ago. We're going to quick make a quick left turn because this kind of relates to both my co-host and our guest. And my research partner who's here with us tonight. Yeah. Please, if you're going to go in the woods, learn to use a map. Mm. Do not use your phone as a GPS. No. Um, you bringing up moose. We went into the back into the DAX a couple weeks later. Um, to do, I told you guys about the one uh, uh, witness that caught, reached out to us. And I'm like, oh, well, let's take a quick turn off road. 
and we're going to go down and look for moose. So I reach out to some buddies with DEC and everything else. And I'm like, hey, go down here. Don't let him downplay it. He was so excited. It was disgusting. He yeah. was going to see a moose. It was, he was oh, on a yeah. mission and there was no, no getting well, away from it. it that was, was the weekend that Garmin decided to get hijacked. So oh, boy. we had no GPS. So yeah. we got lost in a dirt road. Not really lost in a dirt road, but we got stuck in a dirt road for three and a half hours at 15 miles an hour. And we didn't see any moose. <laughs> supposedly the, the highest concentration of moose in the Dax. So yeah. I guess New Hampshire is going to have to be my, uh, my, my right turn after this. It's, always, and, you know. it's hit or miss. I mean, I've been out there so many times and not seen moose. And then like I was up in Northern New Hampshire in uh, back in June, early June with my family. And we were in this area called Moose Alley, which is one of the highest concentrations in New England. We saw like 12 moose in a two day time period, wow. you know, including a, a, most were females and younger males. But we did see one bull with the huge antlers. And by the time I had my camera gone out, he was already in the bushes. And, you know, past basically every weekend, aside from that, I've been up in northern Maine and some of these areas where there's the highest concentration of moose on the East Coast. And I've seen nothing. I mean, both times it's like it's such a hit or miss thing. And then I'm in my spot in southern New Hampshire just a few days ago. And I find these huge um, moose tracks right going through an area that a lot of people, it's like a local shooting spot. People, it's like a plinking wow. pit right going through the middle of the mud where the water dried up. And I'm like, this is where I had had an encounter with one in March face to face. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool to see they're around, but you know, they're, they're a lot more readily available in Northern New England. Than they are in the Southern part. So to see that there, I'm like, well, you know, of course you're up in Maine. You're not, I don't see one. And then I come down here and I'm finding all kinds of stuff. Right. But right. They're magnificent animals. Like I said, they're kind of my spirit animal. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and talk about using your intuition halfway through this really, really, really long drive. <laughs> I finally looked at him like, we're not going to see a freaking moose. I hope you know that. <laughs> I'm like, there is nothing in this area. She's like, don't say that. Don't say that. I got a turkey in the street. As I'm calling my husband going, I'm going to be about three hours late coming home from this trip. <laughs> <laughs> that always happens. That was great. So, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we ended up getting lost because of GPS as well, too. So, and um, GPS. <laughs> so, anywho, tell everyone about all the other things you also do, um, and all the other you know focuses that you have, and um, the things that you do. Sure. So, I mean, I'm really I consider myself, I guess, a cryptozoology researcher, and there's a lot of stuff within cryptozoology. So it's more than just Bigfoot. That just happens to be a big focus because obviously it's one of the more well-known cryptids out there. It's pretty much everywhere. Like I mentioned, North America, wherever you go. I mean, just a few weeks ago in late July, I was in Arizona and then in the Mogollon Rim. We're filming a show out there and we're looking for their local version of the Bigfoot. They call the Mogollon Monster. The same kind of thing. So Bigfoot's really everywhere, but cryptozoology entails a lot of different things. It's really the study of hidden or unknown animals. So that can include animals that are out of place, previously thought extinct, or just totally unknown. So I've done a lot of stuff, as, as we kind of talked about Loch Ness. Uh, lake monsters are a big fascination for me, including Champ, the Lake Champlain monster. Um, Bigfoot, uh, obviously Bigfoot, as I mentioned, but other hominids as well. Um, <laughs> and then, um, you Sorry, know, his lions. Life's time and then. <laughs> so all kinds of stuff, Sorry, basically. 
That's that is no lie. Yeah. <laughs> so champ. Like That's how it always happens, though. You, you, you're out there, and then you see stuff yeah. like close to home. You'll see a bear in your yard or something. Like, I was just in the wildest place, and I didn't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, Champ, what do you think Champ is? I mean, that's 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 your thing, and we're gonna, you know, in a little bit, get to some of the previews of some of the videos and yeah, and your Champ. Oh, I, that's probably my favorite cryptid actually out there is Champ. I was, I think it's funny that you know it's kind of known as America's Loch Ness monster. It's probably the second most famous lake monster in the world after Loch Ness. Nessie gets all the headlines, all this kind of stuff. And it's funny, growing up almost three hours from Lake Champlain, I was more interested in Nessie and Loch Ness growing up, even though it was across the ocean. I don't know how that ended up happening. So I didn't actually know a whole lot about Champ until 2017 when I did this series for Small Town Monsters called On the Trail of Champ. And I spent time with the researchers and talking to a lot of eyewitnesses and just the, the location, Lake Champlain, this beautiful ancient lake that's nestled between the Green Mountains of Vermont and the Adirondacks of New York on the other side. I mean, it's just a picture perfect environment. Uh, such a huge lake, way more uh, conducive, I guess, for life than Loch Ness, which is kind of a, a deep and very dark and, and uh, not biodiverse lake, whereas Lake Champlain, some of the world's world-class fishing, lots of huge fish species, lots of other wildlife. It's a really amazing area. So yeah, that uh, what do I think Champ is? Uh, that, again, I don't know, but I think whatever it is, it's. Uh, I do believe that it probably exists and it's some sort of remnant from the ice age or something that came into Lake Champlain when it was connected to the broader ocean. There were other species of, uh, you know, whales and other marine mammals and uh, a lot, it was salt water. So you had all these animals coming in from the ocean. Maybe something was in there. And as the glaciers receded in the water, turned into a brackish fresh water from salt water, whatever it was, was trapped there. There's several species of fish in the lake that are thought to be remnants of the Champlain Sea era, which was really only, I mean, around nine to 10,000 years ago, which is not that long in a, in a geological time period. So you have the sturgeon, the sea lamprey, the landlocked Atlantic salmon, all in Lake Champlain, other fish species that adapted from saltwater to freshwater. So the, th the thought process is, well, maybe something else adapted, something larger. My personal favorite theory about Champ is that it's some sort of a, a large aquatic turtle, maybe an unknown species of, of turtle. Mm -hmm. A lot of people point to the classic plesiosaur sort of aquatic dinosaur theory. I don't know. I don't know how you know much credence that has, in my opinion. But if you look at turtles, they're the, probably the most similar organism we have to something like a plesiosaur. These marine reptiles—they're very similar to what they would have been like. So maybe there's some sort of a turtle. Um, you know, they're extremely interesting animals. They live for a really long time. There's there's already huge snapping turtles at Lake Champlain that are just monsters. So what if there is something that, uh, you know, is, is adapted? That's just my personal favorite theory. I don't necessarily know if it's true, but some of the witnesses I've talked to said, you know, I first thought it was kind of dinosaur-like, but it looked like a giant turtle with a long neck, which is really an interesting um, new way of, of putting it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, they just found a new species of alligator snapping turtle in Florida. Like this I heard that. that, yeah. I heard so, that. 100 pounds and stuff like that and really? or something like that. 
Paul, if you're listening, I'm sure you could chime in on that. I mean, that's there's my buddy's specialty. Paul, yeah. They're huge. So you can imagine. I mean, there's new species guys covered all the time. You have a species of small reptiles, fish, bugs, usually those kind of things that are discovered. But every couple of years, there's a larger animal that's discovered. I mean, in the last uh, 20 or so years, we've had you know, certain types of monkeys, deer, those kinds of things in parts of Asia that have been discovered that nobody, you know, maybe people had seen it before, but it never really been documented in that way. So right. a lot of cryptozoologists put their hopes on, on some of that kind of stuff, which I think is interesting because we don't really know everything that's out there. We may know most of it, but there's always still some mysteries yeah. out there. Do you plan on doing a little more research on Champlain for um, that particular creature? I mean, I, I know near us here, you know, there was a story of, of one. There's also large snake stories. And you can go back to the traditional um, stories of growth of nations and turtles play a big. Yeah, thing. definitely. And snakes are a big thing. You know, we have uh, Lake, the uh, Canada Lake, which is just over the hill for me. And that's, there's a whole birth story with a giant snake and, and stuff like that. Oh, thank you. you know, I've sent you quite a few things of, you know, snakes in our area playing a big, yeah. and that's again for my my partner sends me a lot of that historical lore. So, do you plan on doing a little more research into that that area of the Northeast related to water cryptids and and such? Absolutely, I, I'm always doing research on Champ. I mean, it's something I'm so interested in. Uh, my, the series kind of opened up my eyes to it, and just spending basically that whole summer, I spent three four weekends going up there and spending like two, three days at a time hanging out and going to all these locations and really getting a feel for the lake itself and some of these incredible locations. Um, and just hearing some of these stories and, and, and same thing. I mean, a lot of the stories in the area, especially with the native peoples on the Vermont side, you had the Algonquin people. So most of New England was inhabited by Algonquin speaking tribes. You had the Abenaki, Western Abenaki on the Vermont side. The New York side was the Iroquois. You had the Mohawk in that area. Now they didn't like each other. There was often a lot of warring going on in the lake was kind of the conduit in between, but on both sides, they had stories of large horned serpents in the water and snakes played a big role in their mythology. There's a bunch of places around Lake Champlain, both New York and Vermont side named after snakes. You've got Snake Mountain, uh, you know, Rattlesnake uh, Mountain, all kinds of stuff like that. There's Snake Island. There's a couple areas where there's uh, actually islands with rattlesnakes that live on there. Even lake, around Lake George, there's a lot of rattlesnakes, uh, you know, the Eastern rattlesnakes that live in these areas, which is really interesting. So snakes are always yeah. kind of present in some of these areas but yeah I, i'm always looking into champ um my brother actually goes to college up you know 20 minutes from the lake so uh, under normal circumstances i would always go up visiting him for weekends and we'd spend like the whole time on the lake and uh, i'm actually in the process now of uh, putting together a uh, an episode we're going to do on champ in the near future for chasing legends and it's the same kind of thing we're going to be up there interviewing witnesses and um and that's what fascinates me too with the subject is the witnesses. There's so many interesting eyewitnesses with Champ, and um, yeah. you know, we're to believe that every lake has just these strange anomalies that happen, and people report monsters everywhere. There's a lot of lakes that do have monster stories, but not every lake has these stories. You know, for if, if it's human perception that's at fault, you know, why is every lake not having these right. incredible on land and heading right. sightings of things? It's only happening in a few lakes. And right. A few lakes with credible evidence. And I think Champlain is one of the few lakes out there, even more so maybe than even Loch Ness itself, where there's more of a body of uh, evidence or at least a history of sightings going back from the
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Native peoples to the first inhabitants of the lake and up until the modern modern day. And it's just a, a huge environment. Um, right. And there's so many other f- species in there that it's just an amazing area. And it's just beautiful. It's one of my favorite places in the world. So every chance I get, I'm up there in either Vermont or on the New York side. And, and that's why when we were filming the... The, the documentary there, Mike and Seth and the guys, we were so close to Lake Champlain, especially being in Whitehall, New York, which is the southern tip of Lake Champlain. You have the Bigfoot stories there, but that's where a lot of the old school champ stories happen in the 1870s, right outside of Whitehall, New York. Oh, so wow. you have like- I didn't realize they were there in Whitehall. Yeah, so the Whitehall yeah. Times actually wrote about a lot of that in the 1870s. There were search parties that were sent out to try and kill the monster. It was like a straight out of a movie, you know, and there were people saying that their cattle were, was being killed, were being killed by a large serpent. And uh, supposedly a group of guys armed in this boat managed to kill this creature, but the body sunk to the bottom and they couldn't retrieve it. And the Whitehall Times wrote a lot about it. So now if you go into Whitehall, it's more known for Bigfoot. You have the Bear Road incident, all the kind of stuff. So you'll have a Sasquatch Saloon restaurant, uh, Joe's Pizza with a Bigfoot statue. But then down the street, you'll have Champ's Restaurant. And their, uh, their mascot is you know, the classic lake monster with the head and neck kind of thing. Uh-huh. So it's, it's like a place where cryptids kind of collide right in Whitehall, which I think is really awesome. And you have all the UFO stuff. That so. too. Black Panthers, uh, mountain lions, everything to boot. But... You know, Bigfoot, Bigfoot steals the headlines in Whitehall right. Right, right there and after it. So where do we want to go with this here? you So you're, you have your new Legends series. If you want to give us a little, you know, sample of that. Sure. Um, and then uh, let's, let's talk about your UFO journey. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Chasing <laughs> Legends is a, a series by a buddy of mine from the Midwest named Nash Hoover. It's a series he's been doing for a while where they kind of go and investigate these various legends, mostly cryptid stuff. Um, back in the winter, this last winter, he contacted me saying, oh, you know, we're going to be planning on doing a thing on the Puckwudgies in the Bridgewater Triangle of Massachusetts. I know you're in New England. Do you want to like uh, be a guest investigator or kind of do you know anyone in the area who has stories? And I was like, absolutely. I'd love to connect you with people who know more about that subject than I do. And I kind of came on as a guest investigator and we clicked really well. And 
uh, decided to come on the series as an executive producer and, and a guest investigator as well, or I guess part of the team investigator. And it's more of a departure from my usual documentary style where it's just about the subjects. I'm not really present. And here I'm actually out there kind of, we're, do, we're conducting research with our team and we're putting our skills to use. So um, it's funny, we filmed that Puckwatchy episode a couple of days before Massachusetts declared the state of emergency for COVID. This was right in early March. So we couldn't have picked a better time to do it because after that, obviously everything was restricted. So that was like the last chance to get that in. Um, and we've been, so the, it's the first season we've been filming uh, and we just filmed one in Arizona a couple of weeks ago. Uh, like as I mentioned about the Mogion monster, which is a Bigfoot type creature. And the first season will have four episodes. They're each about a different type of cryptid. So we have the Puckwudgies, which is more of that. Uh, it's a small Wampanoag folklore story of these little kind of creatures. Some people say they're hairy. Some say they carry spears and bows and arrows, maybe more folkloric. We have the Bigfoot story, of course, with the Mogion monster. There will be Champ, which is the lake monster. And then we also have plans to do the Rougarou of Louisiana, which is a werewolf dogman type Cajun story. So you have four incredibly wow. diverse uh, environments. You have uh, the the forests and the mountains of, of Arizona to the swamps of Louisiana, the uh, depths of Lake Champlain, and then the frozen uh, kind of hills of Massachusetts in the Freetown State Forest, which is one of the most haunted forests in uh, North America, at least in Massachusetts, for sure. Very cool. Yeah, we need to dive into that part of things too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I keep getting invites for mass. Um, <laughs> so, UFOs, did they come with your childhood or did they come with your research into Bigfoot? And yeah. then how did you get pulled into <laughs> another wonderful series? Um, and actually, that debuted just before we interviewed Sat there was on the on the trail of UFOs, another small town monsters, uh, which is a nice little run through, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I, you know, I was always interested in weird stuff as a kid, UFOs a little bit. I mean, I watched some X-Files growing up, so um, I like that, but I always preferred the episodes that had like a monster or more of a cryptid for the X-Files. I would always kind of skip through the UFO episodes. I never was really that big into the UFOs and the alien yeah. stuff. I thought it was cool. Some yeah. of these shows and Stargate SG-1, stuff like that. I like that sort of stuff, but nothing that I was really that interested in. It wasn't until I started going down more of this cryptid stuff that I had a few times where we had some weird lights in the sky. One was in Willow Creek, Northern California, where we saw you know this absolutely no light pollution, beautiful star cover, Milky Way, everything. And just this little thing that was just zipping through the sky you know, unlike a drone that I have, and I know how to use drones, and I know what they sound like in the middle of the woods, you know, what this thing way high up there. Uh, and then a couple of times seeing orb-like things in the woods. But um, the, the craziest was definitely in Pennsylvania in 2019, where in this area, I had been two years in a row where myself and some colleagues from New England were doing kind of a, a study of this area that they called it like the Triangle. Pennsylvania Triangle, where there's Bigfoot sightings and UFOs and black helicopters and weird stuff going on in the same area. We were observing um, one evening and we saw this thing that I could only describe as a UFO by the definition of the word, an wow. identified flying object. It was like a, a cloud, it was clear sky, no obstructions or anything. It was a cloud like object with a light in it that was sort of hovering in slow motion through the air. And we saw smaller, brighter, defined 
um, objects fly out of it and back into it a number of times um, as it went over the horizon. And then we saw, you know, in the split of a uh, split of a second from right to left, just across the sky, this light go up. And we got it on film. We filmed it on a night vision camera. So we have footage. And in the footage, you can see two objects kind of moving parallel before they almost become one. And um, that was a really weird experience. The next night, we had a very strange incident with sound. I can only describe it as sound manipulation, where it was almost around the same time. Uh, we were all kind of hanging around in, in, um, in this garage where we had a bunch of our equipment on the property we were staying on. And we heard this uh, high-pitched uh, kind of sound just start going off. It was like a C tone, um, almost like a Tibetan singing bowl kind of noise, that that sort of consistency. Yeah. And we thought, you know, somebody had set off some device. Meanwhile, we have two people sleeping upstairs, the homeowners, and then a guy laying in the room next to us with the door cracked open. Um, but he wasn't with us. Maybe there were five of us in the garage. We're looking yeah. around trying to find what where this sound is coming from. And it eventually kind of sounds like it's outside. So we step outside and you can hear it in the air. It was a cloudy night. You couldn't see anything. And it almost sounds like it's moving. And we have two people recording with cell phones at that point. They get the audio. And at one point, it kind of goes over a wooded area and it doesn't fade out. It almost goes like a hard cut. Like if you were just to cut the sound off, just you know, it goes, yeah, it's like a humming. And then it was no fade out like there would be. And, and I go into the basement and ask the guy laying there who was just on his phone. I said, did you hear any of that? He said, no, I didn't hear anything. Like that was extremely loud. We thought we would have would have heard something. Next morning, homeowners said they didn't hear anything. Um, that was weird. I don't know exactly what happened with that, but the fact that it happened the night after we had this weird UFO sighting, I don't know if it was connected or not, but apparently that happens a lot in that area. And we had a town hall meeting the next day and we told people and they were kind of like, we are so through the roof, you know, oh, this is crazy. We can't wait to share with people. And they sort of said, yeah, that kind of stuff happens pretty regularly around here. It's not that weird. And we're like, okay, we're just like the newbies over here. You guys just have it going on all the time. Was that in the Ridge? In the Chestnut Ridge? It was not Chestnut Ridge, actually. It's more in the central part of the state. So it's like a, a little bit to the west, but right in kind of near the center. And um, I mean, you can go to my, if people are curious, they can go to my website. I have a whole blog post explaining exactly what happened as well as the video. And um, and I probably should have sent you the link to that, Mike, but um, it's got the video and still images of the, the footage. And I mean, I don't can, I've, I've got your website here on my other screen. So it'd be under the blog section going back to, I think June or July of 2019. But um like I said, we don't make any claims as to what it was. It was just the strangest thing I personally have ever seen. Uh, it could have been some super secret military technology, but it didn't behave like anything I've ever seen. My grandfather right. was a, a pilot. I've been flying my whole life since I was a kid. I mean, I wasn't born in this country. I, I've literally been flying since before I could even remember. And um, I've seen all kinds of weird light and weather patterns that you just look UFO-like. And this was like right. nothing I'd ever seen before. Very cool. And that's what kind of brought me into UFOs. I wasn't really that interested in it until this stuff happened. It's amazing how you start with one thing and before you know it, it kind of just all spirals into the next thing, the next thing. And before you know it, it everything really is connected in some way, shape or form, even if you don't realize it at the time. And it's different for all of us, right. you know. It was, um, what was so weird about this was, you know, the first, there was my second year in going to this spot in Pennsylvania where basically my friend Paul Eno, who's a journalist and he's got a show called um, uh, Behind the Paranormal with his son in the Rhode Island area. And they, they've been covering these topics for years, for decades. 
And uh, a couple of his readers had contacted him about an area they had, this strange anomalous area. So that's how they started going to this spot. They had all gone there multiple times. This was my second time there. And my first time there in 2018, I was thinking to myself, like, uh, I don't know about this whole UFO and all this weird stuff going on. I'm more interested in the Bigfoot stuff. So we did get to interview, you know, three generations of a family who are all having Bigfoot activity on their property. So I'm like, this is perfect for me. But I'm like, I don't know about all this other stuff. It's a little seems a little wishy-washy and then you have this stuff sort of happen and it kind of changed my perspective a little bit and i'm like there may be something weirder going on here because you have the bigfoot stuff going on the same property where people are reporting shadow people in their homes and then a couple of properties down missing time ufo sightings all within the same family and the same property you know what is actually going on here and very welcome good. to where's my sage <laughs> <laughs> that was very good good job yeah. <laughs> right. I, I mean that's you know when we started this you know my skeptic background was to say hey let's you know introduce people and get them off the couch and chrissy's you know background with being a, a, a medium and and doing ghost tours and that kind of thing it just an energy healing how do you explain this you know five years ago i'd be like yeah okay 30 years of martial arts training, you know, you've seen some stuff, which is kind of, so yeah. your experiences, you know, that's why I, mean, I had notes and I just threw them out about 10 minutes before the show, because I did not <laughs> know where we were going to spin this, <laughs> you know, and it, and the folks that are tuning in, you know, Alex's, his background, it, it just, yeah. it pulls from so much. His website, I just posted, go take a look because it will open your eyes to so many different genres and, and medias. And, and that's, you know, we put this together to allow folks to experience everything, you know, yeah, I'm the Bigfoot guy. I mean, that's my thing, but we're still out there hitting, you know, when there's a tin shop that become like our new home and yeah. uh, thank you to, you know, Sheila and, and the gang up there, the pit crew to let us go up and, and bounce in there and it's part of the underground railroad and the story that building yeah. has and the surrounding areas and you yes. know and it's just and and usually we start out with a bigfoot trip out to the woods first because there's that whole area it's almost like a bridgewater area because yeah. they had like a schoolhouse that was burned down with like all the kids and like left the bodies oh, and everybody man. there but yeah. it's like the whole town just had this really weird black plague and kill the whole town so like it just so this whole town is in the middle of the woods but there's ufo sightings there's bigfoot sightings there's go it's the freakiest and then it's we leave from there because it's still on the trail of the underground railroad Man. and the, the the architecture and everything in that building is, is absolutely amazing so especially yeah. freaky in the woods when my partner takes off and just leaves me kind of standing there <laughs> happens Never gonna live that down ever. Oh, I'm not supposed to go that way. Oh, really? Okay, I'll see you in a little while. And he takes off, and I'm just oh, kind of there. <laughs> yeah. now but we, but we, that. We, we do <laughs> see that so much. You know, first time we took Christy out, and the kid we were out with, you know, he mentioned, you know, we went out for Bigfoot, and halfway through, he's like, "Hey, like by the way, <laughs> you know, we're gonna hit this UFO thing and the ghost thing." you know, why we're into it. So it always seems to, to kind of cross. Yeah. So. Yeah. This might be a good opportunity to uh, play our promo again yes. before we continue on with our guests. We could talk all night with you. Yes. So, <laughs> so folks, so much for, those, 
had so much to share. Those tuning in, again, you can go back to YouTube and everything like that and catch us. But uh, our great friends at WLFEDB Radio um, have put this wonderful little promo together. This is where some of the other shows that you'll see on WLFE uh, can be found. Um, kind of our little home station after we uh, left that other big giant uh, to go to a more family oriented. Well, we're a crazy <laughs> family. Let's put it that way. The shows are a little different. So let me just give you a quick promo where you can find us. Hey, everybody, this is Ted from Talk with Teddy and WLFE DB Radio Network. Let's talk about this network for a second. It's very unique, and it has different shows with different topics that you won't hear anywhere else. First, let's say our shows cover a wide range of topics, paranormal to horror, skeptical to believers, and all types of variety shows. You won't be disappointed. In fact, we found, not by the limitations of audio, that we have added video casting as well. Do yourself a favor and check out a show or two. The full schedule is lined up on WLFEDBradio.com. In fact, there are past shows as well that you can check out. So remember, WLFEDBradio.com. Now here's a few of the podcast hosts that also carry the WLFEDB Radio brand and shows. Our shows can be heard on Spreaker, Deezer, iHeart, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and more. So check out WLFE-DB.com. DB Radio. Welcome back, and uh, thank you for uh, that little commercial we had. And we're jumping in there with our new uh, host there, WLFE DB Radio. Uh, Alex is with us tonight. Uh, he is a filmmaker and researcher and a hell of an outdoorsman. Um, so we've, we've kind of got in that. So you've got to travel the whole country doing UFOs. Um, did that link you to the paranormal? And what crazy paranormal experiences have you had, or have you had <laughs> any at this point? Because if Chris, Chrissy always dying, we always got to get on the paranormal thing. I always get Bigfoot, Bigfoot, Bigfoot. You know? No, absolutely. I, I had a feeling we we're going to go that way. Um, so yeah. So I mean, doing on the trail of a big uh, on the trail of Bigfoot on the trail of UFOs. There's so many on the trail of now. So yeah. that was Seth and Shannon. Those guys, they were kind of across the country. And I really put together the New England section of it. Obviously, we came up here and talked about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction and the Exeter UFO incident. These are famous, uh, especially the Betty and Barney Hill case. I mean, one of the first real abduction cases happened in one of my favorite hiking spots in the world, Franconia Notch uh, State Park here in New Hampshire, where I go all the time. So we kind of came up here and uh, there were some interesting, certainly experiences we had Well, in New Hampshire, there was some kind of a raccoon or something in the walls of the, the rental place we were in that were scratching through like Seth in, near his room all night, just kind of a funny experience. But um, in terms of the paranormal, so ghosts and that kind of stuff, I've definitely had some experiences, but it's not my thing like at all. And, and some people think, Oh, you know, you're into all this weird stuff. Why aren't you really into it? I, I always joke around. I'm much more comfortable in the woods or in some wilderness at night, knowing that there's some sort of a creature around me than I would be in like a basement of a supposedly haunted asylum or a battlefield or something like that. Uh, and, and I don't know if that's cause I can, I, I have a little bit of an energy sense with the energy. You can definitely feel when there's like a heavy atmosphere. 
Yeah. I'm just not really a big fan of it. I don't like to mess with stuff that I don't really understand unless it's Bigfoot and, and lake monsters and that stuff. But um, I, like growing up, I mean, I had some experiences when my grandmother passed away. Um, you Wait know, a hearing... minute. Hold on. I got to stop you only because all day long, because all right, everybody knows this is how it goes. Your mother's mother. You must have been close with her. And she was like a mother to you. Is that correct? She was, uh, she was, yeah, I was close to her. Like absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, with me all day long and I was waiting for an end to get to tell you that <laughs> so, <laughs> so before I, you carry down, I wanted to validate that. Thank no, you. <laughs> I, no, absolutely. I mean, she, she unfortunately passed away while I was pretty young. It was in the early two yeah. thousands. And I just remember after she passed away, there was like a week period where, you know, I would hear footsteps upstairs in the room that in the townhouse we lived in that she would stay when they'd come over and visit us. And my mom had this really weird experience happen with these two like ceramic eggs that were in a porcelain basket that were being shook one night while we were all sleeping. And that was like, one was supposed to represent me and one represented my brother. I think they should gotten at a baby shower or something. So it was kind of this weird stuff that happened. I always kind of accepted it. I never really questioned it very much. I mean, in New living in New England, there's such a long history of people living in this area. There's so many haunted buildings, Boston and New Hampshire, so many old haunted churches and cemeteries and Indian burial grounds. There are a lot of these stories, you know, and they're, they're interesting, but not really what interests me. I mean, one of my weirdest experiences I ever had was uh, in, I was in the Czech Republic and there's this uh, church. It's about an hour outside of Prague called the Bone Church, Kutna Hora, that's what they call it in Czech really weird creepy place so basically what happened was there was some sort of a blind monk who during uh, after the black plague there was an abundance of human skeletons and him and his followers adorned the inside of this church with thousands upon thousands of bones and skulls and there's entire towers that are filled with just human skulls and the chandeliers are are skulls and rib cages and like it's the creepiest place if you google wow. bone church it's one of the most famous places in the Czech Republic. Google uh, Czech Bone <laughs> Church. So I, the moment I went in there, like I started feeling physically ill. The, the atmosphere was just so heavy that I, I walked through maybe once and I started feeling nauseous. Uh, and I'm not really one that's scared of bones or, or blood really as much. Like I've seen some nasty carnage out in the woods left over from animals and Sure. Uh, you know, I've seen some pretty grotesque kind of violence and I've always been interested in uh, conflict. And, you know, my family, they lived through civil war and the break of Yugoslavia. And, you know, I've definitely seen some stuff, but this atmosphere was just so heavy. I couldn't stand it. You could just feel the energy was just this like these people weren't killed, you know, in, in a gas chamber or executed. Right. They had died from this awful disease of plague and somebody had kind of put up their bones and everything. And it just it didn't sit right with me. And that was the weirdest experience I ever had. I, I just kind of got out of there right away and I, I couldn't go in there anymore. I'm like, I just don't want to go in there. And that's similar kind of feeling. Uh, that was the most I've ever felt it, but in places, you know, battlefields and that kind of stuff, I felt that energy as well. And I can only imagine a place like Auschwitz or something, how much that would be. I mean, I had a personal connection. My great grandfather on my mom's side was in, he was put into Auschwitz in the labor camp with a lot of the Soviet POWs and he had survived that. And, I can only imagine what that experience would be like. And I've never been there, but I hope to go someday. But um, yeah, so like I said, with the paranormal, I mean, I, I do think there's something there. And I think it's much more connected to energy than there is like a 
particular apparition, you know, if like there's a place where really negative stuff has happened, I feel like mm -hmm. that energy stays there. And maybe that manifests manifests in what people fear and kind of that's what becomes like their personal ghost or something like that, a poltergeist or whatever. I don't know if that's just kind of my personal theory and hanging around with some people who are much more into that than I am. Um, a lot of what they say seems to kind of make sense and um, has to do with energy. I mean, energy is everything basically in the world. Right. So uh, it's, it's kind of all around us. I think that the thing that I love the most about you, and I've never, you know, for everybody out there, I've never met Alex. This is the first time we've even talked um, before now, you know, nothing before now. And I think the one thing that I'm very impressed with the most is that um, you really are just so open-minded. You're not trying to prove anyone, anyone right or wrong. You don't have an agenda. You don't, you know, want to get out there and change people's mind. You are actually in a big way affecting in a positive way and changing people in the world for the better just by being the way that you are and doing things that you do the way that you do them because it allows not only yourself but everyone around you to be open-minded and and find their own truth because it really is different for all of us right even if it's similar for some of us and it's different for others it still is very unique to all of us, this whole spirituality in general, and no matter how you classify that, you know, and all the things that are unknown. And I just think that's really, I have a lot of respect for you on that level because so many people, and there's nothing wrong with having a strong opinion based on your experiences and, and things, but I think it's very um, refreshing to to talk to somebody who really is as open-minded and just says, I just want to give things a voice. I just know that there's something bigger out there than me. And there are so many things that we can't discredit. And why would we let's just tell it and let it be whatever it's going to be to everybody out there. And I just think that's amazing. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a very refreshing. So I just have to tell you that for sure. Thank yeah. you. I mean, I think it's just people have their own personal journeys and everyone's journey is different, obviously. But like you said, there's yeah. so many things out there and maybe some of us are more drawn to the weirdness in the world. I'm certainly one of those people. I mean, the moment I hear a weird story, I'm drawn to it. Obviously, I lean more on the cryptid side now and UFOs, but um, everything, you know, I love it. Like I love just uh, the, uh, the fact that there's still mysteries in the world. I mean, how boring of a worldview is it if everything is, right. we know about everything, it's so mundane, all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's an escape for a lot of people too. The world is a crazy place. It's always been unfortunate. You know, my family background with, you know, people that have survived communism and civil wars and World War II and all this oppression, all this kind of stuff. It can be get pretty dark. I mean, the world can seem crazy, especially if it's kind of closing in on you. But there's a way out. And I think a lot of people look into the paranormal and these weird subjects is it's like it creates such a and an aura of mystery, you know, something to kind of strive for because it's bigger than all of us. Like, like you said, I mean, there's definitely bigger things than all of us. And it's just, in my opinion, it's silly to think that we're, you know, this is it, like you the flesh and blood. That's right. There's nothing greater than what I am. There obviously is way, I mean, just go spend a week in a national park and like, you'll be realizing like if something like God didn't make this, I mean, something, incredible made this place that you know we're looking at that like feel blessed to even look at some of these natural areas yeah. so how can we be it or how can you know that be all that's there yep i agree I, I mean that's half the reason i keep doing this is yeah you hear the stories and that keeps you going but man you know you guys are out filming i sat there for four hours 
in the decks by myself and just listening and just taking in that fresh air and the places, you know, the screen behind me, that's from, from another, you know, skunk ape thing where my buddy and I just sat with the freaking kayaks and just chill out and just listen to the woods, man. It just, it's connecting yourself and, you know, bringing that energy back to you, you know, totally, totally. The woods, they're just healing. I mean, like I said, I'm a nature lover. If Even if I wasn't into all this stuff, I probably would still be out in the woods all the time. And like you said, it's healing. It's a lot of people. It's just kind of the way they need to reconnect. Some people need to be social. Some people need to do this or that. I just want to get away from people and be out in the woods and, and know that there isn't really anybody else around me except for maybe some animals and some weird things that we don't know about. <laughs> so let's go to the crazy um, <laughs> you have this new documentary, The Lions yeah. of Beast. Um, that's an interesting for me to you know come to this here and, and see that you're you know you're coming into this. Um, my whole start with Bigfoot was because I asked a DEC officer, you know, hey, what's what's going on with with mountain lions? You know, I knew. <laughs> and stuff like that. And I figured I'd get the, the straight answer from them. Right. And it was, I got the company line. And then yeah, of course. Me. But while <laughs> I was out there, you know, right. the cats, he's like, well, I was down in this part of the state and we took multiple reports for Bigfoot. And he goes, I believe more and saw stuff there. I didn't. So this whole big cat thing. So I let it drop for years. So I find it ironic because you start as a Bigfoot guy. And if you can tell me how you got into chasing big cats in the Northeast and uh, I have your trailer queued up. So whenever you want, if you want that first or after <laughs> you want to, I can drop. Yeah, I mean, might as well just show it. And then I can kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what got me into it. So it's screen tonight. Me and mice are not working out so well. So for some reason it doesn't want to come to the other screen. There we go. So we're going to come in here. We're going to share this one up. Screen. Share screen two. The audio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Where's my audio? <laughs> Thank you, YouTube. There we go. Did you see there, there was actually a second trailer? I think that's a little more descriptive, maybe, of the film. All right. Sure. Exit that mode. Well, he's finally finding that. I have to say, the eyes, when I saw that earlier too, the eyes of that cat. They're I amazing. Was, oh my God. It was like a human. They're incredible animals. They really are. Oh my gosh, it, it's like, I almost feel like if I stared long enough, I could the, communicate and connect with it. The one with the graphic? Yes, one, yeah, yes, yeah. One in the tree. Yeah, I mean, the eyes were just so human-like. Wise, old spirit, you know, just, wow. Crazy. They're so amazing because they're such powerful predators, yet they are... You know, these wild animals that can absolutely kill a human if they wanted to. But you just look at them. And I mean, if you've ever been around house cats, it's like a, a big house cat. I mean, I filmed those particular ones at a wildlife center. They were orphaned animals that were in this area in New Hampshire. And it, it was just staring right at me. And I'm filming it. And I mean, it was like a crazy experience. And I, I've heard some stories of people, you know, almost having like a telepathic communication with big cats and how interesting that can be. That is exactly, yes. I and I was having a hard time describing it when he showed that to me earlier and says you got to look at that and I pulled it up and I just looked I was it was like I didn't even I didn't have any control I was drawn in just by mere presence it was amazing and I love animals they're, they're, but I'm not like Mike's really an animal lover has a deeper connection than I do but with this well, nothing like I've experienced with animals before. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Add the stream. There we go. I do like having the touch screen tonight. <laughs> and we have audio. He was brown and gray and had this long, thick tail. It was just, it was amazing. I felt like I was blessed to see such a, an amazing creature. Officially, they, they are no longer here in the Eastern United States, but of course, there are, there are many reports. Most situations come in with no physical evidence at all. It's simply what the person witnessed. Some situations come in with photographs or actual physical evidence of what they saw. That's where the, I saw the mountain lion jump right up over here, and he headed down that way and went back down nowhere on that side of the tracks. These are wild animals that can be very dangerous. 
uh, and if they're in your neighborhood, the more they get used to people, the more dangerous this may become. And of course, the more sightings there will be. Right about here, there was a clump of hair that was about that big. They're very light, but you can still see some scratch marks here. Someone's been attacked, something happened. And that's when I saw him. He was just covered with blood. This scrape was found here in New Hampshire after a cougar sighting. And then this scrape was found out west. And this was definitely done by a mountain lion, but I really feel that these are very, very similar. The state is really doing the public a disservice. They should uh, admit they're here, give people some uh, information on how to deal with it if they should encounter one, because you cannot treat them as other animals. We should be letting the public make the decision on the basis of evidence as to whether or not we need to take any steps. Thank you. <laughs> that was a little too much of me for me. Wonderful <laughs> recovery. Uh, so how'd you get pulled into this? Sure. Uh, it was one of those things that I had always heard of stories growing up, spending time in the woods. You hear people talking about seeing mountain lions. Uh, I remember even in high school, a professor I had had said, you know, he had had a face to face with one near Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire. Uh, really interesting. And they're not supposed to be here. And then in 2011, I was actually in college in Connecticut. And I remember it, it was about an hour from New York City hearing a story about a mountain lion that was struck by a car and killed just an hour outside of New York City. Last place on earth you'd expect a mountain lion to be killed. And um, and then I kind of sat on that for a while. And after I finished on the Trail of Champ and I was kind of thinking about some projects. And one thing I kept noticing at events I would go to in the New England area people talking about cryptids, they would all mention, oh, you know, I, I've seen a mountain lion or my dad says he has them in his yard, this kind of thing all across New England. And I'm like, man, these stories are out there. Let me kind of dive into it. And that's what started Lions of the East. It took me about a little over a year to complete the project. And, you know, I had dozens of people, people I'd known my whole life, even telling me about their stories. A good friend of mine who now lives in Colorado said, well, when I was hunting as a kid in Vermont with my dad, we had a mountain lion sighting face to face and I know exactly what it was. It was clearly a mountain lion. Dozens of people telling me the reports. and I ended up interviewing people across New England in New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, uh, as well as Rhode Island, uh, dealing with all this stuff in the New England area. And that included uh, fish and game officers, game wardens with the various states. Uh, I had a biologist reach out to me who had found mountain lion confirmed DNA through a scat sample in the 2000s. And the New Hampshire fish and game kind of hushed it up as well as a woman who was in the trailer there who had her horses attacked by something. And she's had uh, both hair and blood samples tested that came back as a male mountain lion from two very reputable labs nationally in the University of Florida and Arizona. And the state of Massachusetts is just kind of not returning calls and they've sort of swept it up and they don't want to talk about it anymore. So I went into it thinking like there's not much of a conspiracy, like this is mountain lions but I quickly realized that there's something going on. And uh, it was just interesting to talk to people from these various perspectives, whether it's like the amateur 
mountain lion researcher who in a lot of ways has uh, a lot in common with a cryptozoologist going looking for Bigfoot. They're looking for something that everything everyone's saying doesn't exist. The state's telling you doesn't exist. And then people are having sightings, lots of people, lots of credible sightings. People are finding evidence and right. evidence in this case is being proven and still being disregarded. Uh, so it's just kind of, like I said, it all sort of snowballed. And, and one of the weirdest coincidences, perhaps of the whole documentary was I was doing like one of these paranormal events in New Hampshire with a booth. It was just all kinds of, you know, Bigfoot and UFOs, everything kind of combined. And this guy came up to me and he had a poster for Lions of the East. And he said, oh, what's this about? And I told him the project. He's like, well, I'm a, I'm a cop in, uh, in Connecticut. And he said, well, in 2011, I actually saw a mountain lion cross the road right in front of me. And everyone said I was crazy. It was a bobcat. And then a few days later, there was one that was struck by a car and killed. And it was that famous one, which is now kind of like the landmark case for the East Coast, because they saw, they said that after doing an autopsy, this particular mountain lion's genetic makeup was from South Dakota. And they said that it had traveled all the way to Connecticut and was was along the way, had stopped in many areas. So this police officer who I just ran into, I interviewed him on my iPhone to put in the documentary because I didn't have any equipment with me. That's how that's how interesting it was and coincidental. He, he's like the only person in New England who has had their sighting, which he was ridiculed. And he's a police officer. They're supposed to be held to a higher standard in terms of, you know, they see something they're able to identify. It. He said, no, it was clearly a mountain lion. They said no. And then a few days later, it was confirmed. And this was like five miles from where he had had the sighting was where this thing was killed. So he clearly saw that particular cat. Um, yeah. So that was one of the weirdest coincidences. But just all the people I talked to across the region, similar stories and similar frustrations between the public and even talking to some of the people in official dome, as we'll call it you know, the fish and game folks and the game wardens, there was a tacit sort of admission. Yeah, it's very possible ever since the Connecticut case that there is the possibility that Western cats are moving into this area. But I don't think there's breeding populations or anything like that. Some people claim there are. I mean, I came across settings going back to the 1930s of people seeing black panthers and black mountain lions, people seeing a regular tawny colored mountain lion and a black mountain lion in the same proximity that's that opens another part of the equation and that's why in my post my poster artwork which i have here you can kind of see so it has the picture of the mountain lion there and then up towards the top there's the black panther in the in the corner there so it's kind of in the background because you can't really talk about this subject without talking about one and the other i mean so majority of the reports tend to be that typical brownish yellowish grayish color that you expect from a mountain lion there's a minority of reports that report like a black panther or black cat, large black cat. So we it's a, a very interesting of, topic. A lot of the black cats around here. Yeah. A lot, a lot. I mean, it's, I probably every four years or so pick one up from the community that somebody says, hey, you know, there's a black cat in this particular area. Now, you just, you never know. And they're so quiet. And we're still trying to figure out, we think we got a bobcat up there. Um, we're out. Bigfoot, but came up on, but that was before I had all the other gear to turn around and film and record at the same time. Right. And running that ATN. And I mean, I've got prints, I'll send you the prints, but that particular area of the river is a lot of black cat sites. And the one that, you know, that one in Connecticut, they said, no, it didn't come from New York. It went up and it did the, uh, instead of going through Niagara Falls, <laughs> it went up and around and came down. So where did it cross, you know, the river right, right. to get to get over so yeah. you know like mm, that doesn't make any sense you know a lot of, a lot of questions even well, with that particular is, though, 
Yeah, but they can because deer cross, especially by me all the time, cross the rivers. Yeah. They can do it. It is possible. Now how feasible it would really be, would it survive? That's, you know, just putting it out there. Just, you know, yeah. devil's advocate. But it just, but, you know, up, out and around instead of going yeah. <laughs> straight. Right, right. Well, what's so yeah. interesting about that case in particular is that, like I said, it was Milford. It was around the Milford, Connecticut area, which, you know, they're it's a very urban area. It's one of the most densely populated areas of New England. Like I said, it's it's an hour to, to Manhattan from there. So it's not like it's a very wild spot. There's just patches of woods here and there. Yet that's enough for an animal like a mountain lion to stay hidden. So the rest of New England, the rest of upstate New York, Pennsylvania, where it's filled with game, you know, mountain lions used to be in these areas. They were pushed out uh, with deforestation and, and hunted to existence because they were right. considered a threat to livestock, you know, 200 years ago. They're returning to their natural range. But some people think, well, there's still pockets that may have survived in northern New England and maybe the Adirondacks, certain areas, which I think is entirely possible if they had the food sources. Maybe now there's a mixture of the both phenomena going on because like I said, there's so many sightings. People I know even uh, that have seen a large mountain lion and then the, the cub, or not the cubs, the, the kittens kind of following it, which you know would indicate a breeding population. Now, it's entirely possible that maybe there's just males moving through. They would be able to stay hidden and very well fed. We have uh, huge deer populations, moose, other predators, or, or other prey species, and not very many predators. I mean, you have black bears, but they're not as aggressive as a predator as a mountain lion. They're much more opportunistic. So they have no problem digging through your trash as they would to go after a moose carcass that had been killed by, you know, uh, hit by a car or something like that. So mountain lions are the top of the top. You know, we have coyotes and other bobcat. They're definitely, the, you know, officially the biggest cat around here, but mountain lions are the top of the top in terms of predator. They're actually one of the species that is uh, the most widely distributed in North America. Uh, because they're found from the swamps of the south to the high desert in the southeast, uh, the rainforests of the west coast, the Rocky Mountains, the all the green belts, the Appalachian Mountains on the east coast. So they're everywhere. Not in their pre, you know, in their natural range. Now, of course, they're officially supposed to only be in the Dakotas and then west of the Rockies in, in those areas. But you have sightings going on in the Midwest, in the South. Florida has a small population of Florida Panthers, but you have sightings going up and down the East Coast. And, and you know, my documentary focused particularly on New England because that was the most ge geographically accessible to me. But I could easily do one about West Virginia or Louisiana or Kentucky. It's the same stories wherever you go. And it's treated the same way. I mean, even when I was down in Virginia a few years ago, talking to people in state parks and they said, yeah, I mean, we get the same type of stories you know, we don't think they're here, but we get these stories all the time. And the Black Panther element is so interesting because there's no example of melanism. So like a pigmentation of the skin and mountain lions and the, on the fur, there's albinism and melanism. So you'll get all albino animals. You see that a lot of times gorillas, uh, lots of different animals that can happen in melanism where they're just completely black instead of being completely. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. White, and that happens at Bobcats, but it's never been documented to happen in a mountain lion, Puma Concolor. But clearly, I mean, there's something going on here. It can't all be escaped. Uh jaguars from south america or tropical cats that have been released out here because the sightings are going back uh decades to before there was that global animal trade and how many drug dealers can there be around here who are releasing their large exotic cats you know for decades in all these little wooded areas so maybe there's a genetic possibility i don't know i certainly can't speak to it i'm not a scientist but there has to be something to explain a lot of these sightings more than just misidentifications because sure that's part of it but um you know, when you have people who say they're adamant about what they saw and the tail was very long, whether it was the tawny colored or the or a black cat. I mean, they're especially if they've lived in the woods, they're loggers, uh, hikers, hunters. Those people have seen a lot of other animals. And if they know what they're talking about, chances are they didn't see a fisher and misinterpret what they saw. Right. So why the big secret, though? Because they are dangerous. So why is our government covering this up? Why are local officials not wanting to say anything about it or educate the public? And that's the naive me asking that question, because to me, it kind of pisses me off that that would be the case. Because if my dog or my daughter were out in the backyard, let's just say that wouldn't be a good day. So, you know, yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, I think it's funny if you go into any room of people, doesn't matter where you just large group of people just ask, do you guys trust the government and see how many hands go up? Right. doesn't matter. Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, whatever they may be. There's probably not very many people that would trust the government. So unfortunately, I think there's a little bit of that. But I think uh, the government just doesn't like to take action until maybe it's a little too late, especially with some of these things. Now, there's there's great people in fish and game and that work in all these departments in, uh, you know, whether it's a fish and game, game wardens, the environmental department. Every state has their own different mechanism. Even here in New England, you're dealing with, you know, completely different commissions. And, and there's great officers. And, and a lot of these guys obviously really care about taking care of the environments that they use for hunting and, and regulation for the people. So we can yeah. use it as well. They're kind of stewarding the land. A lot of them will say, you know, like it's a, it's a frustrating position to be in because they have to toe the line that's ultimately coming from higher up. I think the biggest thing I think personally just probably has to do with money. Dealing with mountain lions is unlike dealing with any other animal that we have in this area. Black bear, you know, a lot of times here in New Hampshire, especially you'll have bears that get used to people too much where they become a threat and they have to sadly either put that animal down or trap it and, and relocate it somewhere further north. And that's obviously a lot more difficult. Um, so mountain lions being that they are a predator that will not be afraid to kill a human, whereas most of the time black bears yeah. 
black bears are not as dangerous. I would argue that moose are more dangerous animal than a black bear really is, unless you're dealing with a huge black bear, not to belittle the threat. They're definitely a dangerous animal and either hang your food or lock it up in the car when you're out camping out there for bears because they're a threat. But mountain lions, they have no hesitation to go after people, especially small children. I mean, that's an easy meal, right? I mean, when I was at this wildlife center in New Hampshire talking to these folks with these mountain lions, they said, even though these cats are well-fed and they've been in captivity their whole lives since they were orphaned sometimes there will be little kids leaning up against the glass and the mothers will be horrified to see this mountain lion getting ready almost in a pounce position because they see this thing easy snack so um i think that like i said the government response is has a lot to do with money and management and dealing with um you know mountain lions in that perspective it's just something they don't want to have to do until it's a little too late and that's uh, an analogy to that would be the great white shark problem in cape cod in Massachusetts, where 30 years ago, there were no great whites here, but they stopped culling the seals after passing the National Mammal Protection Act. And we've had great whites and we had two attacks a couple summers ago. And now the, there was a woman just killed up in Maine by a great white shark. They're coming back to these waters because they're following a food source. And, right. and people and I talk to locals and they'll be like, you know, we've been saying this for years, but Government doesn't do anything, whether it's the federal government or the local government. It's like they wait until the worst thing happens and then they decide to take action. So right. it's like a reaction. So, uh, you know, not to, like I said, I, I'm not hating on these fishing game guys because there's fantastic people within the agencies, but it's the official policies that that leave a lot of people wondering, you know, if these are animals are dangerous and they're in the area, you know, why don't we try to make more of an effort to discuss yeah. it? And why is there almost an active cover up to cover up some of the evidence? Seriously. Well, it goes back to our Bigfoot thing. Do they find him and do we have to change the where we can go and where we can get, you know, right. it goes back to the, you know, I have a buddy of mine. It's, a, it's an NCON guy and it, it's his, or DEC depends on where you are, or, you know, DEP. Um, you know, we released one Bigfoot with one mountain lion and one Bigfoot with one timber wolf, you know, <laughs> but the cats never seem to stay with Bigfoot. So we can never seem to find him, you know, and it's like, I'm like, you know, that's, he's the one that's on like speed dial. So when I do find something, it's like, you're going to get the phone call at three o'clock in the morning and you know, if he's watching or not. I'm sure he's Yeah. So uh, just one of the comments there that was uh, Larry Batson yeah, says. Yeah, that would bring Larry back up. Cougar attacks are very rare. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, if you look at the amount of attacks that have happened in North America past a couple hundred years, there's not as many as you'd think, um, but they're definitely, ha- they definitely do happen. So kind of what I said was mountain lions, they, they're not afraid to go after human. They usually don't like nine times out of 10, but there's been a couple attacks, especially if they're, they don't have the food sources. I mean, one of the recent attacks was in Colorado, the guy where he choked the thing to death, it attacked him as it jumped on him on a hiking trail. He was running and he managed to kill it because it was a juvenile. So it was probably a younger male that was inexperienced and was like desperate for food and thought really stupidly, let me attack this human. And obviously didn't, didn't make it out on that end. So that's, they're very rare though, the attacks, but still I, I wouldn't trifle with the mountain lion. And if you're in, especially places out West in big cat country, like when I've been out in Colorado in these places, I mean, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find me out there without, you know, a powerful shotgun or something just yeah. in case, because, you know, God forbid uh, when you're out there dealing with these predators that, you know, have been known to kill humans. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good to know. Cause you know, whenever Mike, you know, abandons me in the woods, he usually has the guns and the bear spray with him. So <laughs> me, I have my cell phone and probably a bottle of water. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> so what's the next, what's the next adventure? 
Yeah. So the next one will be Champ going back to Lake Champlain um, to cool. do uh, for Chasing Legends. And I think after that will be the Rougarou kind of before the year is over down in Louisiana. I've only been down there once. I'm really excited to get back in the bayous. It's just such a different environment. I love being in areas that kind of push your uh, your skills and your abilities and you're dealing with animals you don't have. So I'm used to the hardwood forests of the Northeast and moose and bear and that kind of stuff. So when you're in an area where you've got alligators and cottonmouth snakes and all kinds of other things that want to kill you and are completely different, uh, it definitely heightens your awareness. And, uh, you know, I'm always looking forward to that. But aside from that, um, you know, working on a lot of uh, hiking adventures here in the area, that sort of stuff. Uh, and hopefully a book in the near future. That's kind of where I'm kind of leaning towards now, aside from the short cool. documentaries I'm still doing here and there, but uh, Chasing Legends is definitely the big focus right now. Very cool. And one question for me, if there's one thing you could do before you die, where do you want to end up? What is it that you'd like to be able to work on? What would be you know something you want to accomplish? That's when a good all question. is said and done probably say if we're talking cryptozoology um would be go to going to nepal and the himalayas in search of the yeti that's what first got me interested in this stuff i was told the story of the yeti by my dad as a kid and that just stuck with me so that's like top of the bucket list is just being in nepal and looking for the yeti and then another one would probably be uh climbing kilimanjaro or one of the big mountains out west, um, you know, ones that's like multiple day treks, wow. uh, that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm a big hiker. I don't really do the, it, you yeah. know, the math. I would probably never do something like Everest. I think that's just kind of a such a huge, <laughs> huge endeavor. But um, what? I'm surprised to hear you say that after this whole show. Are you kidding? <laughs> but um, definitely some of those larger peaks. I, apparently, I'm nuts in a good way. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's our friend Micah. She is from the oh. Netherlands. She is uh -huh. yes. So she stays yeah. up all night to watch us. She does. Oh, yeah, she it's, does. It's six hour difference, I believe. Yeah. Yes. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Time flies when we're having fun, huh? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, years ago when I was going to throw in a towel on this whole thing, I, I met a gentleman who quit his job to go to Nepal for two years to chase. I mean, the BBC did a whole special on him and everything like that. I mean, like big time businessman. It's like, nope, I'm quitting. My buddy and I were quitting our job. And the photos he sent me, and this is back in film days, you know? So it's not like, oh, I got the DSLR and 40 camera, you know, SD cards in the background. And he's like, you go, and the people, and you meet the energy of the people, and you yeah. just, but yeah. he's, you know, you know that, that kind of adventure, you know, I mean, that's the guy with the long flowing hair and the ascot and the whole, you know, I mean, that's his normal yeah. walk around where, you know, it's like, wow, wow, this guy just came out of a Kipling book or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> Nepal or the Bhutan trip. Amazing. Yeah, that's, wow. that's, like I said, that's on my bucket list. And that's I don't know, awesome. I guess just an adventure at heart. And uh, why I said Kilimanjaro is I was being born into Africa you know, it was kind of like, I, I haven't really, I've only been back there once since, and oh. I would love to just be at the top of, you know, Africa, because it's a pretty interesting mountain, Kilimanjaro itself. That's amazing. Wow. So we wow. can find awesome. Alex on quite a few different medias. Yes. Um, he has his website, which I have put into the group up above. So that's the best his, place to find me. And yes. And 
it's got links to everything else on there. I know there's like a million perfect. different social medias, but it's all on the on the site. So it's chasing perfect. legends there. His Monday night show, which is Tuesday night, competing against us next week. But I have to figure out and watch from the background. Like where Christy's doing readings on the. <laughs> I had to move it. Yeah, too. yeah. I, I'll be like the I'll be like the parent at the sports, you know, kids sports game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. I'll be trying to Alex, tell him to get off. <laughs> tell him to pay attention. Right. <laughs> Lots to put you in speed um, dial. <laughs> you can find you know on the trail uh, on Amazon, Vivi and Vivi and, and and all and Alex and Alex's and right now it's on Prime, which is you know. Rock it out, man! It's it's a it's a great that in the trail, and you know, when, you're doing a uh, lot of amazing things. He and can't Seth wait to see what's next. And the SM, you know, the, the small town monsters guys put out that next on the trail of will be so mm -hmm. excited for that. And and yeah. Mike was a part of yeah. that. And Mike's interview was fantastic, and yeah. you know, it just fits what we're doing with that documentary so i'm excited to see what stuff will cook up Yay! trying to keep that quiet but yeah i can't I wait just, i'm so excited i enjoy <laughs> i enjoy the ride again it's it's finding your energy your energy is awesome brother um like yeah. you said if you got a show and you're on monday nights and you need to find something check check his podcast definitely out. check his out because yes, his 100%. his guests are top notch i mean we've had some of his guests a lot of our guests are a lot of our friends, but uh, <laughs> so not to stroke the egos of a few of our friends, but <laughs> you know, great people. I just I was kind of born yeah. out of the idea of just talking to people that I like and people who I'm fans of and friends. So that's where it kind of yeah. came from. Yeah. That's amazing! So. Wow, thank you so much for being on tonight. It was so yeah, nice thank to you talk guys with for you. Me. It was awesome. Oh my gosh! Yeah, hopefully uh, you'll be. If you can hang with us for a few minutes here and yeah. uh, <laughs> awesome. yeah, words in. All right. Well you thank sure you. About so that? Yeah. <laughs> My brain's not working. This this, this recovery is getting to me. <laughs> Hello. So, Hello. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna put, say good night to Alex and uh, thank you so over. much. <laughs> Oh, okay. Awesome. Yay, you did it right Thank today. you all for joining <laughs> us. I can't believe that I actually made it yeah. two hours. Yeah. So yeah. I'm still recovering from surgery, guys. So my brain's a little check. Uh, I'll check what's your name. Um, <laughs> yeah, you did good. You did okay. good. So. Now you get to go home, or now you get to go to bed and crash. Yes. So we need, you, we need you to really be on your game next week. Next week. So next week, yes. Um, <laughs> even I'm still sitting here looking like Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. Um, <laughs> Tell you a little job. Copyright little movie. Good. Yeah. So we're going to let the hair grow a little longer. Actually, hopefully by next week it'll be cut. Somebody will drop me off at the barbershop. <laughs> um, in this thing. Awesome. Um, but again, Thank you, folks, for joining us. Uh, yeah. We're sorry we haven't been here for the last few weeks. Um, yeah. Thank you for oh. sticking by us and sticking with us. We love you all, of you guys, and really appreciate all of your support and the prayers and love and and everything and the caring. So, so. yeah, for sure. We're, I'm excited to get back. I need to get back and and get back into the reading and and doing those things. Wow. So I miss it. It's time. Yes. So thank you. For sure. Sample on. <laughs> Stay and, uh, safe, everybody. Stay safe. Have a great night. Be safe. <laughs> Come around here.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.